J.T. Crowley is Talking Books. On this show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. They'll give you their take on the writing process and how to create the secret sauce of page-turning deliciousness. Let's get into that magical mixture of the art and science of creativity. Here's J.T. Crowley, author of The Smart Kids and your podcast host. Hello. I'm J.T. Crowley, and I have the great privilege today to talk to Mary Allen about her book, Living the High Note. Like many authors, she wrote during the COVID pandemic. Mary Allen lives in Carlsbad, a small American city in southwest New Mexico in the U.S. This small city with a population of 32,000 is the gateway to the vast bat-filled caves of Carlsbad Caverns National Park. Synonymous with Carlsbad is Sitting Bulls Falls, a collection of waterfalls. It is widely accepted that the falls were named after Sitting Bull, a Papa Lakoto Sioux chief, holy man, who lived circa 1831 to 1890. Mary went to Eastern New Mexico University, where she was awarded a bachelor's degree in music elementary education and later a master's degree in reading education. Mary taught for 28 years in various public schools in New Mexico. While at college, Mary surrendered her life to serve her Saviour Jesus Christ, and she began singing in churches of various denominations. She joined the Carlsbad Community and Martha Martin Luther King Choirs. So music and writing have been at the heart of Mary's life for a considerable time. So let's bring her on the show to chat, talk to her about her book, this fabulous book of hers, everybody, Living the High Note. Mary Ellen, come and join me. Why, thank you uh, for inviting me. Yes, I'm very excited to talk about my book. So you should be. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you. That's very nice. Mary, um, when I look at your book, there are six chapters in your amazing book, uh, what I would like to do is concentrate on certain areas of the book, which I feel strongly portray the message you're determined to get across. For the concept of the podcast is to give people a flavor and essence of the book without giving the entire concept away. So, Mary, can we go to chapter one, which you head up finding hope in a savior? Yeah. To reveal a little about yourself here. You were born on the 16th of August, 1952, in Alam Ogordo in New Mexico. You were the second of seven children, four boys and three girls. Your talent to sing was spotted whilst you were in fourth grade at Immaculate Conception Catholic School in Alam Ogordo. Why the title of the chapter, Mary, and why do you devote a fair portion of the chapter to repentance and belief? Is repentance and belief so important to you? Yes, I think that there are two things that you have to do to know Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the way to the Father, which is the our God, and you know, the things that we have in our lives, we have all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. And so at an early age, whenever you remember or you suddenly realize that you're a sinner, 
that's when you start making decisions and your decision is really twofold. You can either choose to live a life that uh, is all about you or you can start living for God. And so I, you have to repent of the sin of disbelief, but mostly just just the average ordinary things and mistakes that we make at, while growing up and having a life. And then you have to acknowledge that Jesus is the Savior because he died. He was the only one who never sinned. He was also fully man, fully God. And so he died on the cross so that our sins, not our sins could be resolved or, or our punishment be taken away. He interceded for us. He's kind of like a lawyer when you think about it, that. You know, I've sinned and I'm standing before God. And because I believe and repented, I'm put in the book of life. And now I have a chance to live for him and to have a happy, holy life because God is our father. And I believe every soul has a path that he has given them to their own joy and happiness. But they must receive the Lord. Jesus as their Savior, and they must repent. It's called being born again, just as Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And that's the way my life is. So um, the rest of it was that I was afraid of God. So when I did ask Jesus to come into my heart, I suddenly got really afraid when I was trying to pray to him. Uh, and I thought about him like, you know, like we all think of God, thunder and lightning and and all the forces of nature that God, of course, is in, tr- in control of. And I suddenly couldn't pray because I was too afraid. And that's when God gave me a dream about Jesus. And Jesus came into the room where I was and he told me not to be afraid. And there was this black cloud that was coming at me. And he said, be gone. And the thing dispersed. And when I woke up, I was feeling like I was immersed in a sea of love just all over the room. And I thought, wow, there really is a God. There really is a Savior. And that experience has led my life. That's important to you, isn't it? Yes, yes. You know, when I read your first chapter, Mary, the section that stood out most for me was big changes come. You talk about the Lord immersed you in wonderful joy. He gave you many sweet melodies and songs to bless you throughout the day. Why are you talking about this here and what went on at the Christian campus house across the street from the college campus? Well, first of all, my whole life at that point, was geared towards singing because that's what I did well. Everything else was just things I had to do, like we all do, you know, study for your classes and learn this material and do this and that. But singing, singing brought me joy. Singing brought other people. They noticed me when I sang. I won contests when I sang. So singing was the reason. And I believe that each of us is wired different But for me, I always have melodies going through my mind constantly. And I've always had that. And now um, there are even songs that 
I couldn't repeat, you know, I may learn them right today, but they'd be gone tomorrow. And some of them I've written down, but um, I'm not really a songwriter. I guess I chose not to be. But the main thing was that the Holy Spirit gives you gifts that connect with your uh, talents and gifts that you already have. It just enhances, enhances it. I, I just really believe that the Lord leads us if we let him. I agree with you there, to be honest with you. Totally agree with you. Um, Mary, still on chapter one, you have a, a section. The word is witness. You talk about a Christian friend who talked about being a witness for Christ. You reference the Zondervan's compact Bible dictionary, stating that a witness is one who may be called to testify. Would you care to expand what your thought process is here surrounding being a witness? Yes. Um, at the time, I didn't even know what the word witness really meant. And it's a, it's a common word that a lot of Christians use when they talk about that, that Jesus sends them out to explain salvation and the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world that they are a witness to. Uh, not that they've seen Jesus, because, of course, we haven't seen him in this day and age, but that we are a witness in that we can tell people what God gives us to tell them for their life. In the case of chapter one, I was with these two football players who were drunk and they were driving around and so they had stopped and I was in their car talking to them and I don't really remember the exact words I said but uh, that I decided to um, tell them uh, and I it was just an urging and I was just talking to them and telling them you know you really need to not drink and drive it was for their own benefit so you don't have to be a witness to the big classification of Jesus Christ died on the cross to be a witness. You just give out what God gives you for another person. We have no idea what the other person's going through, but through the Holy spirit, he was showing me about these men and to warn them, you know, don't go out and keep drinking and driving because their friend had died and they wanted to, they were depressed. And I said, you know, just go home, sleep it off and pray, you know. And after that, I realized I was in the car with two big old men. I was a little 108 pound girl. And I thought, what am I doing in this car with these guys? And I left very hurriedly. But they came back into the Christian campus house where I was. And they said, because of your witness, we're going straight home. And so that's what I mean by witness. They're the ones who use the word. So I I just know that it's it's a telling. It's a um, one person talking to another human being and helping them to get closer to God or to resolve some problem they're having, to give them something to think about that will help them with their life. And that's what a witness is to me. You know, witness can be many take many formats, can't it, Mary? I yes. mean, when you think about um, Thomas, doubting Thomas, and when our Lord, you know, put his hands to Thomas and said, put your hand in my, you know, into my hands and mm -hmm. doubt no more. 
Yes. And he said, I believe I'm right saying this at the time, happy are those who believe who have not seen me. Exactly. Yes. It's very, very powerful, isn't it? It is. Yes. Hope is something not seen. Yes, absolutely. Um, now, for you, Mary, um, Chapter 2, Finding Power in the Holy Spirit, is a significant part of your book. You say God gave you a tool of language to speak and sing to him through the Holy Spirit. And this especially comes into being when you look at pages, everybody, 18 to 22 in the book. They are very important you know, messages here that you're conveying to the readers. Would you care to elaborate why this part of the book is so personal and so powerful to you that you've put it in this book? To me, this is this chapter was my favorite chapter to write. <laughs> of course, I didn't know at that time that I had to deal with my sin later. But um, in thinking back, how did I receive the gift of tongues? That was what was on my mind. Now, why, first of all, would I even want the gift of tongues? Speaking in different languages. Because I'm not speaking or going to speak to people. I'm going to speak to God himself. And it was because when I prayed in English, which is the only language I knew, that I came to a certain spot. Like I couldn't get deep enough. I couldn't get close, really deep with God. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit utters things that uh, intercession, like an intercession for us in words and explanations we cannot understand. And it's, it's like reaching down in your soul and just, and just pouring it out before the Lord. I especially do this when I have some need, like when my son didn't have a job and and I pray in English and pray in other tongues because I, I felt deeper connection to God when I do that. And I don't pray in and in speak in other tongues in churches or anything very often. I don't even remember ever doing it because then you would have to interpret what you're saying. And once in a while, the Lord will give me an interpretation. But usually I don't know exactly what I'm saying. It's more like I know what I'm talking about to the Lord, like talking about uh, my feelings about some guy or or uh, talking about my emotions with the Lord or talking about, you know, getting a job or, or uh, getting a vehicle or whatever, you know, all the problems that we have. And I just feel that I get closer to God and then it's resolved. And I, I come to the point where I'm praying and I know that I have said what I'm going to say. And now I start thanking God because he's going to take care of it. Maybe not the way I think it should be taken care of. But anyway, that's pretty much what the Holy Spirit does for you. That's a power that everyone can have a deep connection with the Lord. As you're really um, uh, touching upon Pentecost here, aren't you? The period, you know, when um, the apostles are in the room and, you know, the Holy Spirit comes among them and, you know, gives them tongues, you know, to speak the different uh, languages, you know, metaphorically speaking. And it's very poignant that we're having this chat now because we are coming up to Pentecost, aren't we? 
Yes. <laughs> the traditional churches are. <laughs> the traditional churches are. Indeed, they are, Mary. Um, for me, Mary, um, I want to move on to chapter three, finding and facing inner selfishness. A dream, and I use the emphasize the word dream here, everybody, of three wells. Now, this is a fundamental part of your book. You talk about the first well, the first dream, meeting Lester. You were 19. Lester turned up at the Christian campus house, and you talk about dating Lester. There's a silver cross he bought you. Uh, you talk about, um, you, you know, every woman, um, has goes through this, I think at times and thinks, Oh, am I pregnant? Am I not? Cause their period is late. And so you're talking about this, that your period was very, very late. And you consider that you might be pregnant. What was going on in your life here that you felt you needed to include it in this book? What are you trying to say here, Mary? Well, you know, today everybody jumps in bed. You know, as soon as they meet somebody to see if they're compatible physically, they're always thinking in the physical. But back then, people who had affairs were not considered really good people. And yet it was the beginning of the time. It was in the in the 70s. It was the beginning of time of free love and all that and the pill, you know, which kept them from getting pregnant. And um, so. There were more affairs, but especially the generation before, which would be my parents, would not appreciate me, you know, having an affair with some guy. I mean, for them, it was get married first, you know, and then and so on. And that's the way I really wanted it. And since it didn't happen that way, I was letting my physical desires, you might say, overpower my good sense. And um, back then, that was a big thing. Now, it's not such a big thing, you might say. But um, uh, I had to include that because the first guy that I met like that and had <clears throat> intercourse with was the one that I really loved. You know, I really loved him. I gave myself to him. And, of course, he broke my heart because he wasn't that interested. And he later on went on to other girls or whatever. But um, what I was learning was not to give in to my impulses. I mean, I was only 19 at the time. And um, I'd always lived, you know, with my family before I went to college. And now I was like, oh, free to do whatever. I think the hardest time in life is when, excuse me, when a person gets from their their childhood home and they go out in the world and now they face all the temptations that are out there um and this was my temptation there are other people that have temptations like drugs and alcohol and so on but this was mine and so uh it really was because i was just looking for love and and love did not work out <laughs> but anyway the first lesson and uh the the dream that Jesus gave me was so vivid, you know, and he was just walking and talking with me and he showed me this well. And he said, don't look in this well. Well, I didn't know what that meant when I went through that. And of course, I looked in it and that's what I did in the first with my first boyfriend was I he came to the Christian campus house 
And I decided I wanted to meet him. And I usually don't do this, but I just ran out and introduced myself. And it was like I chased him. Well, he was game for a while, but then, you know, he wasn't that interested. But we were together for a couple of months, maybe. And that was it. And then he was through with me, you know, and on to greener pastures, I suppose. But uh, I wasn't that way. You know, I, I wanted to be a one person you know, sure. love and. Um, and also, you know, well, let's go to uh, Mary, you know, your second, well, you know, the dream here, you know, this evolves around Martin. Now, Martin is, uh, I believe, if I'm right, Lester's friend. Yes. Who, when I read the book, got the impression that this was an ill-judged decision, bored out of panic, not to be left behind, particularly as all those around you were getting on with their lives, while yours had sort of, you know, romantically stalled. And so this is, again, this is a second well, and this is you um, facing a different challenge in your life, isn't it? And you, you are asking the Lord here, where do I go from here, aren't you? And actually, that was the problem. I wasn't asking the Lord. <laughs> I wasn't looking to him. And uh, instead, I was just making my own decisions. And one of the things was, I was 21 or going to be 21. And I was afraid I wasn't going to get married. And I would be an old maid, you know, my whole life. And here was this guy who wanted to marry me, even put a ring on my finger. And I thought, well, I'll go along with it because at least I'll be married, you know, which is what I wanted to have. But a friend pointed out that it's not what God wants for you. Because if God wanted it for you, you would really love this guy. You'd be doting on his every you know, move and everything. And you'd be excited about him, not just about getting married. And that's when I realized what I was doing. And I broke up with uh, Martin. And these names are um, not the true names of the men that I'm talking about, because I didn't want to make them, you know, I didn't want to dish them or make them uh uh, suffer or anything because <laughs> so, this is really my own state of mind. You substituted the names. Yes, I did. Yeah. Let's go to uh, Mary the third well. Uh, Mary, this surrounds Hector. You talk about a demonic pit. Uh, the Lord having to rescue you from Hector's constant surveillance, Hector's affairs, his divorce, his ex-wife, foolish relationships, a trip to California in search of a biblical respite. You talk about God being able to forgive, but people not so. Why did you decide to include this part of your life in the book? This is very important to you, isn't it? Well, this is very important because uh, I had given up, you know, going out and being with men. And for some reason, this man just kept after me. And I gave in to temptation, especially since I knew he had had a vasectomy and he was never going to make me pregnant or anything. And so we did have a lot of fun. We went, we actually dated and did a lot of things like dancing and 
uh, roller skating and going to movies, you know, and going to the park and throwing a ball around, you know, just regular things. So I thought he, you know, really cared for me. But then I found out that he had other women and other ideas. And uh, I finally broke loose from that long enough to realize I don't want to be with this man. And uh, again, I felt very guilty for I knew that I was in the well of sin again. And he sent a, a sweet friend around to my, you know, then we didn't have cell phones. So she and I spent time at her house after she was a teacher like me. And I would go over to her house every night to eat and, and just hang so that I could be away from him. And he couldn't find me and call me and, and knock on my door and find me. And uh, then that summer, I went on this trip with my Christian friends, and um, I was we were actually at a place in Bear, uh, Big Bear in California, and we each had cabins that we had paid for, and there was a pool. And so uh, the, at this pool, the Lord spoke to me and said, are you going to let them go without praying for you? And it was the last day we'd been there, like four or five days. And I said, oh, Lord, I'm in a bathing suit. Please let me change before I go and see them. And so I went up to the cabin where some women were, my friends, were waiting. And they said they knew and they were praying and waiting for me to come. And so when I went in, I said, yes, I am ready to be free from sin. And it's like it's not the born again stage that you you uh enter into when you believe in Jesus but it's the it was like the cleansing stage it was like a sin that I just couldn't seem to get rid of by myself um it's kind of like letting it's a lust you know the word says that is we are led to sin by our lust and if we keep in that it can end up in death. And I'm not talking about physical death, but spiritual death. And I knew that and I, I didn't want it any longer. And I resolved that I was going to give everything to the Lord, even my social life and my uh, dating life and all of that. And that's when I finally surrendered everything to him. And I thought I was so embarrassed that I thought, oh, he will never love me again, you know. And then I found out that he did love me by the other dream. I don't know if you've read the part about what happened next. When I went home, I dreamed this huge dream of uh, gifts all over my lawn. And one was a big piano and a typewriter. And I woke up and I knew that God was happy with me. You see, God knows that we're human and we sin and we do things. But when we repent and we go to him sincerely, he wants to bless us. And he blessed me, especially with the gift of music, which I already had that talent. But I was always had this fear, you know, like when you get up and on stage and all of those things. And all of a sudden, all that was gone. And I now when I sing, for the glory of God, especially in churches, I feel this power come upon me and I can sing to lift other people up, to bless their souls, 
for it's a it's a hard world down here and i believe god has, has made me to help others to enjoy their lives as well and cheer them up you know and we all need cheering up don't we at times yes, yes. um mary um chapter 5 I found this uh, very, very interesting. And you headed up finding the mission from God. Here you're talking about the mission God gave you to encourage people through singing and teaching and talking about the love of Jesus. Especially you are now talking about your marriage to Kelly, your husband, and the two wonderful boys that you both have, Michael and Anthony. Um, and you're, you're starting to believe that perhaps God's plan is starting to work for you. Um, am I right here in assuming that? Yes, yes. In fact, it took so long. Of course, you know how it is when you're young. Everything takes so long. But I was wanting to have a, a, a family, a, a marriage and, a, and babies since I was 16. And I didn't get married until I was 34. That's a long time for <laughs> for a young person to wait. And so I had finally decided that, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it your way, even if I don't get the desires of my heart, even if I don't become a married woman and I stay and become and stay as a, a old maid school teacher for all my life. That's okay. And I really was sincere. And that's when I kept running into Kelly. Now we had been friends for six years, but, uh, and I always liked him, you know, and, and I liked his mother and his, uh, brother-in-law brother and his sister-in-law was my friend. And so I kind of knew him, but I didn't see very much of him. And it turns out that, uh, you know, they have, uh, potash mines in Carlsbad and he worked at a potash mine, but the mines went down. And so he had to go to Colorado to work in the gold mine where they dynamite during lunchtime. That's really a kick, but anyway, and so he was gone, but I didn't know. I just knew that I hadn't run into him for six years, you know, and then all of a sudden he was back. And uh, I kept saying, Lord, I, I really want to stay single because you don't want me to be married because that's what I thought, you know. And the Lord said to me one day, don't you think this relationship is of me? And so then we started dating through a, a certain things that happened and uh, we just fell in love and it was just a wonderful thing. And then we had two boys, but you know, that was what I wanted all along was a marriage with children and um, be, to be able to teach was also wonderful. I had wonderful 28 years of teaching in the public schools. And then God chose me and, and talked to me during church and said he wanted me to teach Sunday school. And so I started doing that. I haven't been doing that lately, but um that's where my life started leading, and I still sing in churches today. Did you enjoy writing this book, Mary? I enjoyed it, and I suffered through it. <laughs> but most of all, I the reason I wrote this book was because it was the pandemic. Let's all blame the pandemic. Let's all blame the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And I decided uh, every time I turned on the TV, it would make me mad or sad or angry. And I thought, you know, I'm not supposed to be feeling these or looking at this and be, being filled with this rage. You know, I'm going to tell people about what God did for me. And that's why I wrote the book, because I wanted to get to the miracles, uh, the time when God uh gave us back time when we saw my dad when he needed us and the just so many things like the time in the when I had the kids in the car and almost went off a cliff and he t- took care of us and everything was fine it there's so many miracles and I know I know that when I tell people about these stories they say to me you know something similar happened to me too that was similar to that it's and so I felt like if I wrote this down, people who read about it would think about their own lives and realize that God was watching over them, that God gave them dreams and God gave them uh, miracles. Not maybe not the kind that I had, but He He does it for all of us, and He does it for you. So. What's next for you, Mary? Um, you know, are you going to write some more books? Um... I am writing some short stories that are fictional uh, because I want to express the truths that I've learned. And um, I'm thinking about creation uh, because I believe that everything around you, you know, like the things that are growing and the seasons that change and the the uh, different places that you go and the, the animals and the people, all of it is there for you to learn more about God and his love. And that's what, you know, my purpose is wherever we go, when we make a trip or something, I try to pray for the people around me talk to them sometimes I sing to them uh my brother had a wedding and he wanted me to sing the our father uh some people call it the lord's prayer and so uh at the hotel I started practicing and uh, we went swimming and I thought I'm just going to sing it in the pool and this the janitors were watching me and and listening they 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 told me later that really blessed them you know and so it there's just so many opportunities that God puts in front of me. And uh, I am now uh, singing, uh, leading a choir. Um, I'm a soprano and singing the high note. And um, uh, they don't have any sopranos except me. They have Are you a mezzo-soprano or a... Um... Lyric? I'm more of a mezzo-soprano. I thought you were. There you see, I got that one right, didn't I? But just listening to your voice, I thought she's not quite the top soprano. I think she's a mezzo-soprano. Hey! (laughs) Um, Mary, who do you see um, reading your books? And more importantly, who do you want to see reading your books? Well, of course, uh, I I give the... I've seen a lot of people talk to me about reading it over and over and it was too short. That's the first thing they say. And the second thing they say is that it sounds like you're talking to me, you know, you're telling me a story. And I thought that was a good, good thing. Um, I see people, especially women who may be uh, a little depressed or have some 
sadness in their life. Hopefully they'll read this and it'll help them think back to things that went right and realize that they can dwell on the good things that God does for them. And the more you dwell on that and the and try to push the other parts of your life kind of as not as important, you start to beam and smile and and feel the joy. And so and also if you learn to thank God for things for all your little blessings, you know. Um, so my my whole purpose right now is just to lift people up, just to, I really feel like it's a privilege to get to sing in churches or sing with groups. I don't, every time I've tried like karaoke or something outside of church, I haven't done very well, but that's okay because that's not where God wants me. He wants me <laughs> singing about him, you know, and so I I feel confident when I sing about him, but when I don't, I've tried this on a cruise once, I just couldn't, I don't know, I wasn't in tune, I couldn't get with the music, even though I knew the song, I just don't know what goes wrong, but I do know that living your life, and I say in my heart, I believe in Jesus Christ, and he will do the rest, it takes all the pressure off, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Where can people get your books from, Mary? Well, they can get it on Amazon, and it's Mary Angela Allen. If they're looking for the ti- the title, it's Living the High Note. Uh, the publisher is Author House. They can get it there. Uh, they can get it Barnes & Nobles. I don't know if the stores have it, but I know they may have it online. But mostly uh, Amazon is the best place to look. And they must have the name of the book. Uh, go to books and then put Living the High Note. Or you can put my name, Mary Angela Allen. Mary Allen, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us today. Mary Allen, everybody, talking about her book, Living the High Note. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And oh, I love talking about my book. I know, and so you should. I'm JT Crowley. Thanks for listening, wherever you're in the world. So until next time, stay safe.